Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by SATC Solutions L3C. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Bridging Chicago. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host for the podcast today, and I'm also a legal assistant here at SATC Law. And I'm really excited to be joined by two of our attorneys today. They are associates here at the firm. Joining me is Tara Kaufman and Audrey Gamble. Audrey, Tara, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to get to chat with you about your experience in both law school and in the legal field. And I know that you have a lot to share with us, but we kind of want to start where we always do, and that is to learn a little bit about each of you. So, Audrey, if you could share with us just a little bit about your background, where you grew up in, and what it was like for you, um, if you didn't grow up here in Chicago, what it was like for you, where you are. Yes, um, I grew up in Lamont, which is about 30 miles outside of the city. It's just southwest suburb of Chicago. Um, was born and raised there, lived there my whole life until college. Um, I have an older sister and it's just the two of us. And let's see, growing up, my, my mom was a stay at home mom. And so she was really involved with our schoolwork, activities, everything like that. Um, and we were always encouraged to really be pursue everything that we wanted, really be achievers. Um, and that kind of carried through through college. I attended the University of Illinois. And then after college, I attended law school at Chicago Kent. And I know that's here in this city. Uh, can you tell us about Kent, a little bit about like what its makeup is as far as what are the kind of students that go there? Is it known for something or is it just kind of a melting pot of students there? Kent, I, I think attracts um, a diverse range of students. They, It's known for a pretty strong intellectual property program. Um, and it is a sister school of the Illinois Institute of Technology. Um, so I believe that has some influence and it's also known for its very strong legal writing program. So it really attracts students of all kinds. Um, Chicago Kent also has a great LLM program, which um, attracts a lot of international students as well. So it is a very diverse learning experience. And being local also brings a lot of Chicagoans. Awesome. Tara, um, same for you. Share with us where you're from and. Uh what life was like for you as, as a little one. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Chicago on the South side in the Beverly neighborhood. Um, I have one brother. Um, my mom was a working mom. So 
she's kind of like a boss woman and like one of my inspirations, which is partly why I, you know, chose to do a career and, you know, work towards a career. But I, um, I went to school, high school on the South side. It was an all girls high school. I then went to Western Michigan university. Um, after college, I actually worked for a little bit before I went to law school. I worked for about five years at Wintrust in their commercial lending department. Um, I have, since then, I've moved back to Beverly. So I'm back in Beverly. I live with my husband and my two Huskies. Um, I went to John Marshall Law School. Um, and John Marshall, I think, was known at one point, they were one of the only schools to offer night classes. So I think it was a lot of working people that went to John Marshall. But I think that has really changed. And now it's kind of, you know, everybody and a diverse group of people. Um, all ranges, people from all over, not just Chicago. But there's a good group of people, a diverse group of people. Yeah, and it's interesting because both of you have moms who did two very different things. Tara, you're, you're a working mom and Audrey with the stay at home mom. Can you see even in those two circumstances how like, I, I guess Audrey for you, how did your mom encourage you to still like go after your dream? You wanted a career to pursue that. Um, how did you see her encouraging you to do whatever it is that you wanted to do in, in career while staying at home? Right. Well, so I would say that the first step um, to encouraging children, young people to really pursue their dreams and their goals is to foster confidence in your abilities. And so for us, that always started with schoolwork and su success in schoolwork and in clubs, groups, activities, a lot of involvement and a lot of discipline. Um, and by that being basically the expectation, then there's no reason that you can't pursue and apply, apply those same principles to whatever chosen career path there would be. And so I think that the involvement and just support and encouragement really went a long way. Um, I would I will say my mom did end up going back to work when we were older and in high school. Um, and also seeing like how much identity that gave her to be pursuing her own career again um, was really meaningful to me at that age. Yeah. And Tara, for you, how did your mom sort of teach you about work-life balance and about being a working parent kind of getting the work done and succeeding in your career, but also taking care of your family, because even though it's not just on the mom to do that, society kind of puts that on the female role. And so for you, how did you see that play out in your mom? And then how did she encourage you to, to have both if that's what you wanted to have? Yeah, so um, my mom worked really hard. Career was, that was something that was really important to her. She had a like a tougher upbringing I guess so you know for her it, working and the financial security was really important to her that was you know a main priority um my dad was wonderful he just 
picked up a lot of, you know, those traditional roles that fall on the mom or the, the, the wife, he kind of took on those roles. Um, you know, my mom, when we were little, she went back to school and she got an MBA. Um, so she was, her entire life was just kind of working to better herself for us. And I think, you know, she kind of, similar to what Audrey said, you know, there was some expectations that, you know, I was always told you can do and be whatever you want to be, but, you know, education is really important. So we have an expectation that you, you know, work hard at school and you you try your hardest when you're, when you're doing things, you, you apply yourself and, and work hard and that will open up doors and create opportunities. So, yeah, I think she, you know, she showed me that women can be successful and it takes some work. But I also had an amazing father who kind of helped her and picked up the slack where, you know, most fathers were working. He kind of played that role of of the stay-at-home parent. Yeah, and I think it's really inspiring when you see families who do that really well, when it's not on one partner or the other to make things work, but rather it is that partnership where there may be different points in your life where you know you may be working more and the other person has more time to take care of the home or that may switch and you know those roles may reverse a little bit but i think one of the really cool things about the younger generations is that those gender roles are very much changing and so it's not about you know masculinity or femininity it's it's about how do i best take care of my family in whatever way that means for me I think that's a really cool example of that uh, for us, Kara. I do have to to stop for a second because I feel like we need to give your mom a shout out because I know she's a huge fan of the podcast. <laughs> she's one of our great supporters. So she is. let's give her a shout out because I think she's earned it. All right, Jan, shout out to you. Thanks for supporting SATC. Thanks for supporting the podcast. We love you, our number one fan. <laughs> we Thanks, Jan. appreciate it. Uh, all the parents here of the <laughs> yeah and, and i think for us here you know we do the podcast is here to inspire people just to to reach for those goals and to dream bigger and to think okay you know someone out there has done this before and so that means that i can do it too and so hopefully that's what people get and so when people partner alongside us and do that to do that that's really cool so thanks jan we definitely appreciate that so Audrey, I'd like for you to share with us about your decision to go to law school. Was it something that you knew you wanted to do for a long time? Did that come about in undergrad or, or what kind of made you want to go to law school? Right. So unlike I think a lot of people um, who pursue a career as a lawyer have a lot of lawyers in the family or maybe they've known for a long time that it's something that they want to do. That wasn't really my situation. Um, I was mostly, my main focus in undergrad, I was an English major, and I wasn't sure that I wanted to go into education. Um, and I was kind of trying to figure out what the next step career-wise would be with more of a broad degree. Um, and considering different types of grad schools. And then I studied abroad my junior year, in Spain and actually was able to take, um, in my courses there, was able to take a Spanish law class, which while the legal principles aren't 
all that applicable to what I learned in law school and the style of the class is very different. The professor was a retired Spanish attorney and he really just made me feel like this is a career that I think would be challenging and interesting and kind of opened my eyes to it as a possibility. Um, so between that professor and a, um, a fellow student during the program who was a year ahead of me and was going through the process of pursuing law school, I became interested in it. And then once I got on the path, I found I really enjoyed it and pursued that to take the LSAT and eventually go to law school and graduate and become a lawyer. Did it ever seem really big to you? Like maybe it was something that was too big to actually do or or once you decided that that's what you wanted to do, was it just you going after it no matter what? So I think that in my experience, if you look, you know, five years, 10 years down the road at everything that you might want to accomplish, it can seem really daunting. But the way that I have always approached life decisions and work decisions is you have a plan and you have to take it one step at a time. Um, and I'm fortunate to be someone who really enjoys school. I enjoy, I enjoyed studying. I didn't suffer from too much test anxiety or anything like that. And I had so much support from my family, um, and older friends, people who had kind of been through this before. My sister is two years older than me. So it was also helpful to kind of have seen her navigate the waters post-college. Um, and it really made me feel like I was able to just, you know, tackle each task at hand um, rather than be overwhelmed by one thing. And the, the confidence that my family instilled in me really was helpful at that time because it's very easy to let doubts creep in when you're pursuing something like that. Yeah. Tara, how about you? What made you decide to go to law school? Or um, also along with that, what was kind of scary about it? And how did you push past that and continue on to do what you were wanting to do? So um, similar to Audrey, I don't have any attorneys in my family. Um, I don't really, didn't really know any attorneys prior to law school. I was working in commercial lending and my boss and mentor at the time um, well, actually, I, I was thinking about getting an MBA, and he was kind of pushing me to do law school. So I had never thought about it before then. I thought, okay, he's my boss. This is what he wants me to do. I'll go take the LSAT. I didn't prepare for it. I didn't think I would score well enough to even be accepted anywhere. Um, I ended up scoring well. I got a really nice scholarship from John Marshall and was just kind of like, I feel like I can't let this opportunity pass me up. It's now or never, and I might as well try this out. And once I started, I loved it. And you know, like Audrey said, I also really enjoy school. I I love school actually. That that it was, you know, a lot of people I think struggle in law school because there is you know some testing anxiety and it is a lot of work. But I really did enjoy it. And you know, it is a process and as Audrey said, one step at a time, I think is the best way to approach it. So yeah, here I am. It all worked out. And of course there's, We're of course there's doubts along sure. the way, especially that, 
that that few week time period between when you take the bar and you can get your results, that's when you feel the most doubt because it's all on the line. Right, Tara? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was that was the most stressful point, I think, in my life to date. That that waiting game was so hard for me. Um so as as Tara said that the time waiting to find out your bar results is one of the most stressful of the whole process because all your hard work culminates in that one moment. And for me, that time we were, I was already an employee here, um, but contingent upon, of course, those results, you get hired as an attorney and having another woman attorney in the firm to kind of like stand in my nervousness with me really like made me feel so supported and it was the first place I went when I found my results was in the office next door to share that. And when following year, when Tara was waiting for her results, it kind of felt the same way. Like we were all holding our breath in it together to make sure that we could, you know, continue forward in our team that we were building. Yeah. And I think when you look at that and you say, okay, in some ways, in every stage, there's going to be some anxiety, there's going to be some challenges, there's going to be hopefully a lot of really good stuff come out of that. And so I think it's one of those things, the reason that you persevere is because you've done so much work already that, you know, you, you want to stick in there, you want to you want to see it out. And it doesn't necessarily just automatically get easier at any point. But hopefully we learn to handle the stresses a little more. And hopefully, you know, those mentors, as you were talking about, Audrey, uh, those mentors can help you kind of remember that, you know, everything's going to be all right. We, you know, this is natural to feel this way. And to kind of just, you're going to have to live with that for a little bit until whatever that stage is, is over and you can move on to the next thing. And so you know, it just kind of speaks to the fact that right, you have to be it's always going to be there. And it's going to show up in different ways. And you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. The kind of ironic paradox of life is that the more you achieve your goals and find success, the more unique challenges are going to be presenting themselves to you. Um, and so it just I think it just becomes more and more important to find those mentors that you can rely on and be able to keep evolving. Yeah. Audrey, I'd like for you to share about uh, going into law school, your expectation of, of what the representation of females in law school is going to be, and then if you saw that kind of play out, or did it surprise you there were more, there were less, like sort of what was that dynamic for females in law school like for you? So in my school, um, I, I don't know the exact statistics of my class, but the representation was definitely very strong, very heavily female. And I think that what really is more telling than just the numbers of male to female students is the like strength of the representation and the ability to take on leadership roles and really have a voice in the classroom. Law school is a really competitive environment. And especially in that first year, um, you know, 
grades are on a curve, people are fighting to be um, gain membership to teams or be part of different clubs, and then ultimately that you'll those same colleagues will be their competition for jobs, but they're also your best resources and your best friends. So I found that what is like probably the most optimistic and really comforting aspect of like women's role in law school is just how strong of leaders they can be. Um, if you're not aggressive in class, if you're not willing to really put yourself out there, then you might just not be heard. And I would say that like some of our strongest students and most um, influential leaders in, of, at the school during my time there were women. Um, our, from TAs to our valedictorian, um, I really found that it was a place, and I, I only graduated two years ago, so this was quite recently, um, but it really was a place where women were thriving. That's great. Um, and you mentioned that leadership role. Uh, Tara, I'd like for you to, to share a little bit about this uh, female leadership role, sort of, because in the past, female leaders have been called bossy or aggressive. Um, and, you know, a lot of times if, if the male were in the same role, they would have been looked at as a great leader or, you know, uh, just really taking charge, taking the reins. And so, are you seeing a little of that breakdown, or are you still seeing where females are looked at as too aggressive if they act a certain way um, in trying to step into those leadership roles? So, like specifically in law school, like Audrey said, it's a pretty competitive environment, and I think most of the women that you know are in that environment are you know prepared to hear them, their voice heard, they're prepared to take a seat at the table. So, you know, in my experience at law school, well, one, John Marshall is more than 50% women. So there's a lot of female, female students. So naturally there was a lot of women in the leadership roles just within, you know, the student organizations. But on, in addition to that, you know, there's so many groups in Chicago. While I was in school, I got involved in the Women's Bar Association, the Goldie Initiative, Crew Chicago. Those are all women-focused groups. And so I think those were constantly being promoted around campus. And that really helps, you know, women feel, you know, feel empowered because there's other women behind you, uplifting you, rooting for you. And, you know, I think, I think it helps. So I, I do think that that I have heard that before that, you know, women can be considered bossy, if, you know, and a man, a man could do the same thing and wouldn't, wouldn't have that label attached to it. But I think some of that is, you know, some of those barriers are, are being taken down and, and I hope that we continue to keep breaking down those barriers. Yeah, I think that during the last year of the COVID era, really, it, you look at some of the things that have changed and a lot of them can be perceived as negative and some of them are just you know we we're not as close to each other and you know we've had to work from home and we just haven't been able to get together with friends and you know that's not good but um 
But I think one of the really good things is that people are really taking a look at social justice issues and saying, we need to fix this. And you know, this, there's things that haven't been right that we haven't been paying attention to, and it's time to pay attention to those things. And so I would like you to share, Audrey, if you can, um, just with the, the way of the world and kind of the social justice issues that have come to light, what really inspires you about the change that's happening and and how do you see that sort of play out in your everyday life? And then, you know, maybe what are some of the things that you'd like to see us continue to change? Right. So I think that with not, and I know we are speaking a little bit more specifically about women in the legal field, but I think that with all people who maybe whose voices haven't really been heard or adequately represented in the past, um, that the awareness is just so important. Um, and I do think that especially in a field like ours, it takes time um, because like Tara said, 50% of the students in her law school, I believe in my law school and in law schools across the country are now female, 50% or more. But it takes a long time for those law students to become the partners and the CEOs and to really be um, equally represented in those top roles. And so I think that the like important thing to focus on is to continue um, supporting that just because, you know, you, you made it through law school just because you got a job. It's, you know, internal inv advancement and ambition um, and opportunity and like being able to pursue those opportunities throughout the, the entire career path, I think is so important. It's the fight isn't over once you get hired basically or accepted or whatever it might be. Yeah. And we've seen that through still fighting for equal pay, still fighting for equal voice, uh, you know, the ability to be on certain projects uh, for partnership. We know that even though uh, the legal field is increasing in terms of law students and associates who are now female, um, the numbers for partners who are female still hasn't gotten there. It's still actually very low. And so there's obviously still a lot of fight going on. Um, but Tara, I think one of the really encouraging things is a lot of that fight is being spearheaded by young people. And that's one of the things that I've seen over this past year, especially is young people that are really stepping up and really getting involved in all different aspects of social justice. And so what have you seen, especially among young people um, or heard about that has really inspired you to think like we can actually make some real difference happen? So, you know, I think, well, first of all, the women that came before Audrey and I, they made huge strides and it definitely made this possible for us to be where we are. And I think it's important that, like you said, the younger generation, we can't just sit back and, you know, we, we got to We have a job now so we can, you know, we, we can relax. No, we need to continue to challenge ourselves and to, you know, support one another to get to those positions so that the you know law school numbers of 50% women or more than 50% women is reflected in the in the workplace so you know i think for me what is inspiring to me is really the people that came before me to 
to kind of the trailblazers that made it possible. So I feel an obligation to keep fighting the fight because they started it and, and, you know, we need to, it's not over. So we, we got to keep working at it. Um, did you see when you were in law school, was there an increase in the number of professors or uh, leadership within the law school itself? Did the numbers of females in those roles increase? So Audrey, like, did you see more female professors or maybe for those of us who haven't gone to law school, a surprising number of female professors or leaders? So I don't know that I can speak to an increase because I can only speak to my experience, which was over three years. Um, but I think that some of the most influential professors in our school were women professors who'd been there for a really long time. Some of my favorite teachers that I ever had um, were my women professors in law school, um, especially those um for, for instance, adjunct professors who were practicing and then would come and teach at night. Um, and then, and they would have all this real world experience to give you as well. Um, and the legal writing teachers in your first year who you spend so much time with um, and really, really influence what kind of law you want to practice and really what, what kind of attorney you eventually want to be. Um, and as far as the students go, um, I think that it, it would seem to me to be an increase, but I think that that might be because as you become more senior through law school, um, you know, people really start to like come into their own and find the areas that they're passionate about and that they succeed in. And so while I, when I think of my third year in law school, I do think of like the biggest leaders in my classes being, um, and in the student organizations being women, but um, I can't say whether or not that's just my personal bias because those were my friends and because you see them grow and really um, find their voice through the experience. Yeah, and Tara, um, I guess same question from your perspective, just knowing what you know from uh, John Marshall, um, and so over your period of time, maybe not so much an increase, but what was the, what were the numbers like uh, for you? Did you have that same sort of experience? So I feel like my first year, which is kind of like your core classes, um, you know, they're sort of the, they're the bigger classes. You sit and lecture. They seem to be male dominated professors, but to Audrey's point, as you get into your second and third year and you start kind of focusing on the areas of law you would like to practice, you have a lot more adjunct professors, and those seem to be more women for me. So they were practicing attorneys with real-life experience, which is great because then you can talk to them not just as a professor but as a practicing attorney. And with more of them being females, it's, it's, it's nice because they have experienced things that I, would, I will likely experience as an attorney. And I want to go back to something we talked a little bit about, but it's this mentorship concept, um, because it's something that actually quite a few of our guests over the past have talked about, is mentorship and how important mentorship is to 
young people actually like believing that they can make a difference or actually stepping into doing something, you know, going from just talking about it to stepping into doing it. And so, um, Audrey, can you share with us, did you have a mentor in law school? And if so, what was that like for you? And uh, like, does that inspire you to mentor someone else? Um, yes. Yeah, so at when I was in law school, I was a member of um, the Women in Law student organization. And I did have a mentor through that, um, that, and we, you know, we went out for lunch and I was able to email her and get support, especially this was this specific mentor was for my first year in law school. So kind of tailoring your legal resume and getting support for interviews and things like that. Um, and then as my career focus kind of shifted through law school, I ended up um, kind of being connected with other women attorneys um, that were more litigation focused as I became more interested in that. And the the support and really the confidence that they instill in you by being able to sit down with someone who you feel like seems like you um, and really you can relate to, I think just means so much, even if your specific experience or even your practice area would be different. Um, it's really empowering to sit down with somebody who kind of already is a boss. Um, and at least for me, one thing that I was always really interested in and concerned about, in addition to just how to advance your career and, um, become, you know, the kind of attorney that you would like to be is the work-life balance aspect of it. And I think that women mentorship, women who are older and who are balancing careers and family life and, you know, hobbies and passions and still finding time to mentor um, younger attorneys is just, it's so inspiring to see. I, I hate to say that like women are expected to do it all, but we can if you want to. And so it's so really rewarding and inspiring to see people who are doing that. And so I would like to be able to pay that forward. Um, and, you know, it feels, sometimes it feels like, well, I'm not, I'm not there yet, but really it, there's advice to be given and, you know, um, support between women. And it's not just a mentor relationship is not just a one-way relationship um, at, at any stage in your career. Yeah, and you said something that was really interesting there to me in, in this idea that, you know, women may not be expected to do it all, but um, but they can. And as someone, uh, as a Latino male, um, one of the things that I see is that people don't have the same expectations all the time of me or of any real person of a diverse background. Um, but when I do choose to do something, you feel like you have to do it better than anyone else. And so if you're going to have a family and have a career and have social life or, you know, friends, all those things, it's like you're not necessarily expected to do all those things, but you better be the best at it. And I think that's one of the things where it kind of gets tiring of always having to be better than anyone else just to be seen as worthy of being in that room or having that seat at the table. But uh, Tara, I'm wondering if you can kind of piggyback 
off of that and, and talk about women's role in the legal field and do you feel like you have to be better than your male counterparts as a young associate trying to you know start your career and, and trying to you know really build yourself up do you feel like you have to be better than your male counterparts in order to get the same level of respect and authority and get to that same place in your career um not i mean i feel like i need to be better because i'm young and new i think it it has to do less with gender but i think that's just a perk of working here you know i i'm sure that at other law firms other women in my position would answer this question entirely different um i can i can understand where someone would feel that because they're women and a woman and everyone above them all the senior roles are are males that it seems that they have to work even harder because they're a female i don't feel that it's a gender thing for me for me being here it's more just being in a young new attorney i feel like i have to work harder to to get to that same level yeah and that's something that i really appreciate about the firm here and we've talked about it on the podcast before where um, you really feel like here they're they're working to make a difference they're working to change the the culture because we do have five white men who are partners and yeah. it, it kind of worked out to where the females that were getting ready to step into that role ended up taking positions at other firms so it's not necessarily that you know, they weren't trying to get females into those positions, but it kind of worked out that way. And now we're, we're here with five white males who are actually really trying to make sure that everyone is represented and make sure that everyone has a voice and that everyone feels like they have a place here in the future. And so I see that and I really appreciate that. But I also have heard so many stories from so many people and mostly at really big law firms where there is yeah, so that's much that's what i was gonna say the, the big law firms i think that someone at a big law firm would answer that question differently yeah well and i do feel like while if you just look statistically of course facts are facts but it the culture doesn't feel at all male dominated in a way that i feel like there's anything to prove or anything to catch up on. And it's, we come from such a place of privilege, not only what Tara said by all the barriers that were broken down by the generation before us, but also just be having such a comfortable workplace environment where it does feel like a non-issue. And that sometimes when I, particularly pre-COVID, um, am brought out of our cult workplace culture and into a courtroom or into a conference room with uh, attorneys from other firms, particularly um, uh, above a certain age, and I get treated like a secretary, not like a lawyer. If you walk in with a partner, they get the respect, um, and I am so grateful. It's always jarring because I'm so grateful that that's never been the experience here. Yeah, I think part of that is we had to have uh, you know, a conversation here about diversity and inclusion and what that looked like for us and what we want that to look like for us. And 
I think that was one of the things is one of the partners here came to me and said, hey, I want to start a diversity inclusion committee, and I want you guys to tell us what we need to do better, what, what you're not getting out of us and what we can do better. And I think for me, that alone was huge because it wasn't them coming and saying, here's what we're going to do to make ourselves more diverse and inclusive, but it was, you tell us where we're falling short, where we can do better, and how we can do that. And that's one of the things that I think this firm does really well in general is just involving people who are not at the leadership level, or at least at the executive leadership level, to feel like we can actually you know, make a difference here and that we can actually do the things that we're interested in doing, have lives outside of the firm, but still be successful in whatever, you know, whether you're a legal assistant, a receptionist, an attorney, or a partner. Um, but I think that a lot of that points back to the fact that they're coming to us and asking us rather than telling us, like, here's what we're going to do. I agree. I agree. And the feeling, the feeling that at least I have in the two years that I've been here is that everybody kind of has a, a personal stake in what we're trying to do here um, to make it the best, the, the best firm and the best workplace experience that it can be. And I don't know that that same level of like ownership is felt, especially by young associates or support staff um, in other firms. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. If you could give a piece of advice to a young female, um, let's say someone who is an L1 in their first year of law school or early in law school, um, what, what's a piece of advice that you would like to give to her about finishing law school and then starting her career as an attorney? Um. If I were to give any one piece of advice, and you know, everyone struggles in different areas. Um, for me, I think that trying to overcome, you know, what's known as imposter syndrome as early as you can and confronting that as often as you can is going to set you up for the most success. Um, unfortunately, I do think that one area where women can keep making changes and myself included is in being able to self-promote without feeling like it's being braggy or being, you know, inappropriate in some way. And that's something that I think that men have historically, statistically been better self-advocates than women tend to be. And I think that it's so important to learn how to advocate for yourself and to market yourself, you know, in starting in college, in law school and throughout your Career when you're working um, and to really own that. And that would be something that while I, I don't know the best way to accomplish it, I think it's really important um, to learn that skill early and to be aware of it. Terry, you're fine. Um, I'm going to piggyback off Audrey. You know, don't let your security, your insecurities get the best of you especially, you know, once you're through with law school and you're starting your career, you've done the hard work, you've put in the time, you deserve a seat at the table, you, you know, you, you should be there just as much as anyone else. So 
you know, I think Audrey and I have even talked about the imposter syndrome before here. And it's, it is, it can impact you, but like she said, you need to address it and just know that you, you've done the work, you deserve it. So keep going, keep challenging yourself and keep working hard. Yeah. And I would say for everyone, no matter what race, gender, whatever you are, I think it's really good to celebrate other people, even in little ways. Because for me, I really appreciate it when someone even just points out those little things, because sometimes the little things are actually really a lot of work to get to, or they can be more difficult than they seem. And so when someone points that out, it's like, okay, that was worth doing that work to get maybe even just this little change. And so one of the things that I've tried to do more and, and that I really appreciate is when people celebrate even the little wins, because for me, you know, it takes a lot for some people to to take the LSAT or to risk going to apply for law schools or, you know, they give up so much sometimes to go to law school, um, you know, sometimes working multiple jobs or getting, you know, huge student loans or whatever the case may be. It, it, it's, a, it's a really big sacrifice for a lot of people to do this. And so I think that if we celebrate each other more, I think that would help us to, you know, feel encouraged to keep going and keep doing and feel like, okay, this is worth it. And it's one of those things, it's a practice. It doesn't always feel super comfortable. And even receiving it, sometimes it's like, ah, that it was just so small, it didn't really matter. But I think once you practice that a little bit and once you get that in your own life, it's like you, you start to realize how how big that can really be and how encouraging that can really be when we're all practicing that a little more. So we're going to close out here um, because I think that uh, you both have given us some really great insights. And, and I really appreciate getting to hear a little more about your story and about your journey through law school and, and coming to the firm because, you know, having been here when both of you started, it was I didn't get to see a lot of that before you got here. And obviously, I've seen in the last year or two how you've grown and, and how you've kind of settled into your role, at least right now here in the firm. And that's been really encouraging. I think it's really cool to hear about before that and, and sort of what got you to this place. And so I really appreciate you sharing everything here today with us. But um, before we go, I want to leave with uh, with getting your thoughts on your hope for the future. What is your hope for the future, not just of women in the legal field, but your hope for the future of women in general and, and what impact they can have on the world and, and sort of even for you in your own life, for your own family, like what do you hope for for women today and tomorrow? Um. So I would say that one thing that I would hope that would be the eventual goal um, for women and for especially for women of color is that while we strive for equality, um, that doesn't mean that you're identical. It doesn't mean lack of whatever unique, and this doesn't have to be gendered, um, any, any cultural or just unique difference that 
that you might have, um, that, that, that be celebrated too, that we have equal opportunity, but can be celebrated for like what you bring uniquely to the table, whether that be as women or whatever influence that you have, whatever background that you bring to the table, rather than success is fitting one specific mold or idea. Um, so I think that would be my goal and my hope for the future of female empowerment, I suppose. Yeah, for me, I think, you know, I, I would like to see women continuing to uplift one another and support one another. I think it would be awesome if the you know, specifically in the legal field, if the upper management partnership at different firms, if it looked more like what the law schools are looking like today. Um, so, you know, I think we just keep on this path. And like Audrey said, it takes some time for the students to get to those positions, but I think we're well on our way and we need to keep supporting each other during this journey. Absolutely. And I know that, uh, that we'll continue to support you here at the firm and I hope you feel supported in other areas as well, but you know, if you're if you're a female attorney or if you're a male attorney, even you know, just reaching out and seeing how you can help support each other, offering your mentorship uh, abilities, just getting out there and, and finding out what other people need in order to be successful and to get them to that place, I think is really good. And and I'm seeing that more and more, and I'm hearing about that today, and so that's really great, and it really. I think gives a lot of hope for the future because I know that there are a lot of people who who really are demanding better for minorities of of all kinds and, and just people in general because I think you know as people we deserve better and and it's okay to ask for more um, in terms of equality and so I hope that we continue to strive to do that but I want to thank you both for your time today it's been really great and it's been really really enlightening so I really appreciate you joining me today and of course we appreciate our listeners so thanks for joining us on this episode of the bridging chicago podcast and we look forward to sharing with you again soon thanks for listening to this episode of bridging chicago as produced by the satc solutions center nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial investment legal and or professional advice no professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solutions Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts, under certain conditions, and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceedings.